Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With. Conversations with your favourite theatre actors and creatives. I'm Mikey Worrell. Today's guest is an original cast member of the Olivier award-winning musical Come From Away. Among her credits are The Wind in the Willows and I Can't Sing at the London Palladium, Les Miserables in the West End and on film, and the original production of Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Beautiful Game. Prior to lockdown, she could be seen eight times a week as Beulah in Come From Away at the Phoenix Theatre in the West End. Here's my conversation with Jenna Boyd. Hi, Jenna. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Hello, lovely. My absolute pleasure. How have you been? Not been too bad. Not been too bad. Weather helps, I think. I definitely think the weather helps. How has lockdown been for you? It's been, like I said, it's had its ups and downs. Like, There's certainly uh, a part of me which has rather enjoyed being a wife and mummy to my two dogs. But then the actor that misses work is struggling. It's painful to know that there's no theatres open. I find that really difficult to even comprehend that there's no theatres open. So, and when things started to happen quite recently, actually that filled me with a bit of joy. I was like, yes, something's happening. It's not completely dead in the water. So I think that lockdown has been up and down, I think is the best way to describe it. I felt a bit like I was in a movie that I didn't want to be in. And I don't think I'd ever say that. I mean, I'm always busy. But I don't really know what I do. Um, like my husband, will, he'll say to me, what have you done today? I'm like, I don't know, but I've not sat down. Like running around doing things in the house. I've, as I said, I have two dogs. So, you know, during lockdown, my one bit of exercise a day was I'd take them out in the mornings for a lovely long walk. And then I'd come home and somehow my day would be filled with stuff that, you know, I guess it's the kind of stuff that oh, I'll, I'll get around to doing that kind of stuff like I definitely this is so dreary but I definitely one day spent three hours cleaning the metal blinds in my kitchen oh wow individually I mean that's my home had never been so clean that kind of stuff that you go right well I can't do that so let's you know all the stuff you put off there was a lot of that happening in lockdown a lot of that a lot of singing I feel sorry for my neighbors you know because they have to listen to me sort of trying to keep on top of stuff. My neighbours downstairs, I had a little chat with them. I was like, so you want to let me know when you guys are going to go out for your hours exercise every day? Because I'm going to... The guy was like, you're going to do singing, aren't you? I was like, yeah, it might be best. You know, we could be at this for a while. So uh, we did try and uh, sort of negotiate. Because obviously when you're singing the same song over and over and over and over again to get it right and then just doing one little bit, that could be annoying for other people. So uh, I do feel I do feel quite bad for my neighbours. But yeah, there's a lot of singing, a lot of baking. And I'm a terrible baker. Good cook, terrible baker. That has improved, kind of. Did make my husband some scones at the weekend. And I asked him how they work. He takes them to work. And he was like, well, they, 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 the flavour's really good, but they're more like a biscuit. <laughs> I don't really know how I failed at a scone, but I did. I think my oven has it in for me. That's what's my excuse. So lots of that, just kind of things that everyone's doing, really, baking and, and well, singing, if you do musicals, I guess. I'm actually really intrigued about that. So when you're singing, is that just because it's fun and endorphins and it's what you enjoy doing, or is that for practice and maintenance? 
Well, it is for the latter, but under the guise of the former. So, like, when I was younger, like a kid, and I wouldn't do my singing practice, it's because it was boring, because I didn't like the songs that I was singing. But now, you know, I'm singing stuff that's in my rep, and then I sing stuff that's not in my rep, but actually is quite, you know, sort of tricky stuff, but I use that as, like, an exercise. And you're just working on that, working on that. And for fun, in inverted commas, to get that song right, but by doing so, you're keeping your you know, your tool and your voice going and it is, it is like practice, you know, and basically my neighbors are treated to sort of like an hour and a half's worth of musical theater ballads, huge belty songs two or three times a week. I mean, people pay for that. You should, you should tell them that. (laughs) I should charge them. I don't think so. I think they pay me to shut up. Like it's the, um, the, uh, there's not a maisonette, like a pur- not purpose built, you know, it's a conversion. So like the se- the floors and their ceilings, the sound travels. I did a workshop with some kids recently and taught them some movement and I forgot to text them. I got a little text saying, is everything all right up there? I was like, so sorry. Yes, that's just me dancing around. So sorry, my bad. Should have warned you. So now I do text them and say, just let you know. There'll be some thundering oh on the ceiling. What's your what's your go-to sing-song tune at the moment? At the moment, oh, because it always changes. That's a much better question than what's your favourite song? Because I'm like, oh, I don't that's know. an impossible it's, question. Exactly. At the moment, I have been singing. I'm so northern singing, singing. I have been singing what I did for love. I think that's my brain selecting something that I've sort of feel quite appropriate have you seen every little step yes the, the mate yeah so it totally changed my life I mean I'm not even joking it changed everything about how I audition and how I feel about auditions by one line I could have saved myself a fortune if I'd heard that sooner but when I watched that I had prior to seeing that documentary I'd only ever seen the film so I thought having only ever seen the film that the song what I did for love was in fact her singing about that guy what I didn't realise, and they clarify that in that documentary, is it's not the love of a person. It's it's the love of what we do. And I remember them, when he said that, me just going, <gasps> and crying, just being like, all of a sudden that song became so much more. So I think my brain is sort of plucking that out and going, oh, this is something that you connect with right now. That and Watch What Happens From Newsies. Oh, that's a great song. Love that song. It's really high. Yeah. It's that belty bit at the end. I really like that bit. Unusual Way from Nine. I don't know that one. Oh my God. You have to go and listen to it. It's beautiful. The bit at the end, which I still can't do the way I want to do. So my poor neighbors have to listen to that. And Summer in Ohio from the last five years. Basic, because I don't want people to be slitting their wrists. Do you know what I mean? Because sure. I'm constantly singing sad songs. And see, look, there's loads of them. And um, maybe this time. I started singing that recently. What a great selection. Yes. See, they're just all big belty numbers. Just let it out. Let it out. Let it out. Have you done much Celine? (laughs) I did do Celine. I sang one Celine song. I sang the Titanic song. And my neighbour said, oh, it's quite nice listening to Celine in the afternoon. I was like, right, never doing that again. (laughs) Never doing that again. (laughs) I just wanted to sing the rest of the song. Yeah. Whenever that we get to that bit in the show in Come From Away, I'm always like, oh, I wish that there was just like a bit longer. Like we could just go off on a tangent here. Just give her a whole... I did say to the writers, because they, apparently they have the rights to the whole thing. I was like, well, 
You know, yeah. stick it in. Yeah. Just do it in the karaoke in the background. It'd be great. We could just do a deep dive into that passenger's personality. I mean, that would work for me. That would work for me. Love to sing a bit of Celine every night. Let's talk about the show. The West End shut down on the 16th of March. So the last time Come From Away was performed was Saturday the 14th. What do you remember about that night? Did you think that that could be your last show or did it come out of the blue? Oh, absolutely not. I don't, even though people kept saying it, I just don't think you believe that it's actually going to be a thing. Like, and even when I went home on that Monday, I was like, oh, I woke up the next day and I was like, okay, this is odd. It somehow felt like a weird holiday. And then, oh, this is very weird. This isn't happening. It's very strange. But on the 14th, weirdly, the, the week, so not that week, so not the week ending the 14th, the week before, I'd been off because I'd hurt my hamstring. And so I'm very, very glad that I had been able to go back for that week because it would have been really awful, I think, if I'd been off with an injury and then it just had happened without me there. I know, I had no idea it was going to be our last show. I really didn't. And we were full. We were full withstanding on that day. And the same Friday night, I believe, it was absolutely packed. People wanted to come to the theatre. People wanted to be there and wanted to be part of it. And the same reaction that, you know, it sounds so almost ungrateful, but I don't mean it. A standard come from away curtain call. It, it's phenomenal. And I don't mean that in any way that it's standard because it's not. Every day it's extraordinary. But that is how it always is. And then there are days when it, it peaks slightly and you're like, whoa, you don't think it'll be, get any better. It, it takes my breath away every night. Every night. You can't quite believe it. And it's not even us. It makes no difference who's on there. It's the show. It's the show. But no, I didn't know it was going to be our last one. I don't know if I would have done anything any different if I'd known. I don't think you can, can you? Because otherwise you end up mm-hmm. overthinking it. Yeah, definitely. What was the atmosphere like in the, the week leading up to the shutdown? Because our show is, uh, I have to always say this, because our show, you, you speak direct, there's a lot of direct address. You do see things in the auditorium, whereas, I, you know, I have complained in the past about drunk people, etc. And you sort of put it on Facebook, like, please, please don't come and be drunk and talk. And I've people going, oh, I never noticed when I'm on stage, anything could happen. Well, in our show, the reason we notice is because you literally look at people and speak to them. So you, we were aware the week running up to it, that the seats had dropped. There were less people there. And I remember my first day back after being off, lovely cat who plays Hannah said to me that it has been quieter, as in numbers. We were used to playing to full houses. Like, it's always full. And so when we're talking less people, I think our theatre sits about 950. We're talking maybe we were down to like 800 maybe 750 the absolute most which isn't terrible for a tuesday night in february march time do you know what i mean so but for us we did notice but that last weekend it was heaving absolutely packed but you did notice i didn't notice the masks though i did notice the people not coming as as much one night though i can't remember what day it was they had to close and Juliet, because everyone was poorly. We got a huge influx of young people who obviously had gone to the theatre to see, you know, some cool, you know, poppy musical and been like, it's not happening. And they kind of got, ah, and I don't know if they'd said over at the Shaftesbury, well, the, the closest show to you now really is Come From Away. And we got loads of young people in that and they absolutely loved it. And that was really nice to see. That's not to say our show has a particularly old 
you know, an older clientele, not at all. It's really varied, but it was really obvious clumps of sort of early 20s. That was really lovely to see. They had an absolute ball. But yeah, it was different. Talk me through the Monday, how, how it all unfolded. I'm the uh, DEP, the, the equity DEP for our company. I, I really like doing it because I always like to go to the meetings once a month and just get the gossip and everyone else's shows. That's really fun. And it's only a couple of hours before work on, on a Friday and it's great. Never in a million years did I think that I, that I would actually have to do like the stuff that we've, you know, we've had to do as equity has been negotiating this, you know, this, this crisis basically. But because I am the DEP, I'm on a, a WhatsApp DEP group and I was getting text messages from people saying, we're not going on. They're shutting the show. And then I was in Mary and Emma's dressing room and it was ping, ping, ping. And obviously other people have friends and shows as well. Like, oh, that they're not going on tonight. The show's not happening tonight. And then came over the tannoy saying, um, full company to the stage. And uh, look, unless you've just won an award or you've just been nominated for award, it's probably not a good thing. Uh, really. And certainly not with everything going on. You know it's not going to be good. So we all kind of moved down there. And bless him, our poor producer, John, standing on that stage. Ashen. He was grey. Said, I'm so sorry. We're closing as of now. He's just like, what? Hearing the word closing, as, as opposed to, guys, the show's not happening tonight. It was, we're closing as of now. Oh, my God. And then lots of sort of shock faces and tears and you know he has no answers people are like well, we'll be back don't know i have no answers at all you just don't know and then there was a lot of drinking you know people went to their dressing rooms and got alcohol that you know they've been bought or you know they were saving for saturday night or whatever and there was lots of drinking on stage and there's definitely a recording of a drunk welcome to the rock which I'd already left by that point, but you could see people doing it, sloshing wine. That was very good. Poor John, we said, you know, do you want to stay and have a drink? He's like, I can't because I've got to go and do this to another few companies. Oh, bless him. Absolutely. It must have been awful. Yeah, lots of tears, lots of tears, and then leaving and not really getting it. Like, don't really understand what's going on. Company managers saying, take your stuff, take some stuff because you don't know what you need because you don't know when it's going to be open again going back to your dressing room and being like I don't know what to take so I took my I took my come from away hoodie and the Christmas mousse because I didn't want to be on his own and he has stayed at my house since then I was actually back I got to go back to the theatre on Monday and picked up a few other bits but still I was like I don't really need any of this stuff this is stuff that's for the theatre the only thing I, I did I really wanted to get was I have a calendar of my dog that was in the theatre and it'll be out of date so I did I did bring that but yeah, the, the whole thing is just so weird. Lots of tears on that day. How was it going back on Monday? How did you feel going into the stage door, but not to do your show? Now, I put it off for a really long time because I thought I'd be really upset. and I thought I'd find it too difficult. Turns out I was absolutely fine. And I, I didn't see that coming. I genuinely didn't see that coming. And I, I sort of spoke, you know, spoke about that with a, a friend of mine. And I was like, I guess... I guess I've been in this business for such a long time. For me, saying goodbye is the hard bit. That's the bit that kills me. So when our, our original cast left, I cried for most of that week. And on that Saturday, I was pretty much inconsolable most of the time I wasn't on stage. I couldn't bear it. The thought of saying goodbye to them was just almost too much to bear. But once it's done, I'm sort of all right. If any of the remaining cast watch this, they know that I also cried on the Monday because it was weird. But 
I'm used to leaving jobs. I'm used to jobs finishing, I think. I'm used to, you know, having to clear my stuff out and move on to the next thing. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe it just feels like that, you know, it's just, it's so, so weird. But it felt, it felt fine. It felt like nothing. When I walked into the theater, because I know a lot of my friends who went and picked up their stuff, they were really upset. But maybe I know, you know, we think we'll go, we know, we hope that we'll be going back. So maybe that's why it, you know, it didn't, it didn't get me. Was it odd visually? Because obviously, it, I, I guess everything would have been in the same place. Everything would have been where it was on the 16th of March. Yeah, I mean, I went into my dressing room. That's the only place I went. Okay. I just went into the dressing room and I was like, I sort of remember taking up my pink curls really quickly and all my pins were exactly where I'd left them. Uh, you know, my stocking cap was there and I did put that away and I sort of tidied up a little bit. But I was a bit like, I really, I don't really know what to do here. So I... I just left. It was so weird. Maybe if I'd gone onto the stage, it would have been slightly different. But yeah, my dressing room, I was just like, oh, it's all right. It's all still here. You know, take that home with me, take this home with me. And that's about it, really. A lot less emotional than I thought it would be. It feels very eerie to think about everything, not just the the objects, the material in the theatre being frozen in time, but the, the people as well, because when, you know, hopefully when everyone goes back, people will still be honouring contracts that would have been finished yeah. long ago. You know, they would have moved on with their lives, but actually they'll be doing going back to doing what they were doing a year ago, potentially. Yeah, that, I think that's quite weird. Artistically, though, that's quite nice in the sense that, you know, if someone's coming to the end of a contract, they get to the point where, you know, they've met, they're mentally preparing themselves for their next thing. And it's not like they're over it. That's not it at all. People are are preparing themselves emotionally to be able to move on and you have to let go. So there is a, a, a sort of, you do start to pull yourself, detach yourself from that job to prepare yourself for leaving. I think it's important. And if you have got yourself into that headspace, the thought of then doing another year is quite difficult. So I do think that having, gosh, is it now six months, seven months, eight months, whatever it is that we'll end up having away will allow people, I think, to go back quite fresh and quite ready and quite, you know, up for doing it again, especially those that were on long contracts that were prepared to leave. I think it will give them the ability to be able to be fresh and and ready to go. What's the feeling from, from people you've spoken to, people you know, but also from you about the people who might not be so lucky, who might not have a job to go back to, who might have got to the middle of March and gone, I have nothing? I don't know. I don't know. It's terrifying. We're all terrified. We're, we're living in perpetual sort of fear and, and limbo. That's the hard bit, the not knowing. People always, you always said that after an audition, the waiting is the worst bit. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you just give me a no. Just tell me it's a no and I can move on with my life and blah, blah, blah. I had friends who were on Phantom who did say to me that, you know, when they first heard the news that it was closing, they were absolutely devastated. But after that initial shock, and taking on board that new information, they felt quite relieved because they now know that's it. We're not in limbo. We, the people whose shows haven't been closed and who still are, you know, we want to open, we hope we're going to open, we're still working towards opening. We are still in that limbo. We can't move on. We're still there. Everyone's frightened for our business. Everybody is. I'm going to do it now. There's a petition everybody has to sign it's all over my social media uh, I even did a little video telling people 
in no uncertain terms they have to sign it uh, equity are working towards it's all the bumps in there but it's the four pillars that equity are working towards to try and not only prop up the industry whilst it's dark but also to support it whilst it moves forward into this new I don't want to use the phrase new normal, Ugh. this new era, I don't know, temporary phase. I don't know what it is, but it's just the next stage once it becomes light again. So yes, sign the petition. It's all over my social media. It's in my Instagram bio, I think, as well. So you can find it there. Over 18, I think you have to be a UK citizen. Sign it. If you're under 18, get your parents to do it. It's very tricky because obviously we were campaigning quite hard to get support from the government. And then the government came along with what sounds like, and when you see it on paper, a lot of money, 1.57 billion pounds. That's a lot of money. It's for an entire sector. So it's like sports and culture, which is museums and art galleries and you know, live music and theatre and independent cinemas and all of those things need support. And in no way am I saying that they're not worthy of, of the money. I'm not saying that and we should get it over them. But once you start breaking that down, it's also for things like continuing refurbs on things. So it's building work as well. They're also giving money to the Opera House and to the National and to the, the Royal Shakespeare Company. You know, the things that they, those three things they term to be the, the crown jewel in within the culture of, of Britain. I'm like, mm, well, actually, I don't believe that that's so. <laughs> I think that there are a lot of other things that need support. And when you break 1.57 billion down across all of those different things, it's not a lot of money. It's, it's really not a lot of money at all. And you can imagine that I believe, I believe France gave the theatre industry like 7 billion Europe or something like that. And it, their industry comparatively is tiny to, you know, to ours. It's absolutely, it, it's tiny in comparison. And if you imagine like Weatherspoon's got 48, EasyJet got half, half a billion pounds just for them, for one company. So it's very frustrating. And, and they didn't stop working. Like EasyJet continued to fly people. It's very frustrating. You feel a little bit like it's a witch hunt, like you're being persecuted somewhat. Like, why are you, why are you doing that? And then they bring out the thing of, well, singing will, singing will kill you. Singing is the worst thing. The worst way to catch coronavirus is via singing. And you've got to be, at one point it was six metres, then they brought it down to three metres away. And they brought out a whole thing, a whole health and safety guidance about, you know, you have to do it. You can't face to face. You have to sing back to back. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're being ridiculous. It's like, you don't know. They also said that brass instruments spread it as well. And it's like, no, no, dude. Because that's sound waves, isn't it? Sound waves don't carry germs. So you do wonder who's giving, them, who's giving the government this advice that we're all following. Well, ignoring our industry completely, look at the mask thing. Three months after the pandemic started, masks are now compulsory. I saw on Facebook someone said, that's a little bit like making everybody wear a condom at a baby shower. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Three months down the line, everyone wear a mask. But 
Yeah, it has been very frustrating. You do feel very ignored. You know, those pe- the people with the power are on Twitter and you, people are constantly tweeting them. I know they're very busy, don't get me wrong. Uh, and they're not going to reply to everyone. They don't reply to anybody, but they've got time to say, oh, really, really happy that blah, blah, won the sport, blah, blah. I'm really excited to go and have a pint. So you do have your phone. You are using it. You are saying stuff. You're just not saying stuff to us. And they just ignore you. They ignore you and they say ridiculous things i believe this was before the self-employed scheme came out rishi what's his job chancellor was like oh i really want to get back to the theater too and you know we're really trying what do you mean you're trying don't try do you found the money quick enough for other people so put your hand in your pocket and sort it out and also i don't know if a lot of people know this there are so many people in our sector in our industry freelancers who've had not one penny not a tiny penny from anywhere, not from the government, not from, you know, in terms of grants or loans, or they can't apply for universal credit. They have nothing. These are people with children, families to support, and they've had no money. They've not earned a penny since we closed. Now, how are people meant to live like that? And it's things like if last year you earned £50,000 and one penny, you're not included on the self-employment scheme. If you are a PAYE employee and you earn £1.7 million a year, which lots of people do, they're still entitled to £7,500 a month. That was the cap. There was no cap for their earnings, but there was for self-employed. And it was set at a relatively small level comparatively to how much people in the employed sector earn. And also people that hadn't worked so much in one particular year and did PAYE work and paid tax on their PAYE work got nothing. If more than 50% of your tax return showed that it came from PAYE work, you got nothing even though they paid their tax on that. They paid their tax to the POA and on the self-employed, they still got nothing. So it's not even that some people have, you know, the sector hasn't got help. They've penalized people for doing the right thing. They've penalized them. And for me, that, that sucks. God, I can literally talk about it forever. It makes me so cross. <laughs> Let's talk about something happier. Happy, happy thing. Your show is the first one I am coming to see on the first night yeah. that Indoor Theatre is back, without a shadow of a doubt. But I hope so. I feel like Come From Away has become a metaphor for everything that's been going on. You know, being put somewhere completely alien to you. Mm-hmm. When lockdown first started, I'd like to think I would have done this anyway, but if I truth be told, maybe I wouldn't. You know, you sort of live in, I mean, I live out in Gravesend, but it's very London-like. You know, you sort of don't really say hello to people. But when this happened, I was like texting my neighbours, do you need anything? Can I get you anything? And I do wonder if Come From Away had that sort of effect, like just a little tap, tap, tap on, on, you know, in your subconscious going, you can do a good thing here. Make sure that everybody's all right. Do you know, I had extra, I came home that like the very, very first week, I think I was coming out of my house, going into my house and my neighbor was coming down the road. She was crying because she tried to go, she doesn't have a car. She'd gone to Tesco to try and get something like some food and there was nothing. And she was in tears and I was like, what's wrong? And she explained, I was like, just wait there. And I went in and I, you know, I got some extra bits that I had and I, I gave them to her and she cried even more. And I just thought, I wonder if that, I wonder if that's a little bit of Diane Davis and Buda Cooper. 
Do you know what I mean? Just, I'd like to think I was a kind person anyway, but I do, I do think this made a difference. I do. I do think Come From Away makes you think twice and reminds you to be human and to be a person. And, you know, everyone, everyone needs each other, really. And there's that moment in the show when Emma is at the front doing the, you know, if anyone has any toilet paper. Oh my God, there's, there's that last week I was there. Emma might have had a holiday because it was Sorrel, one of the standbys that was doing it. Funniest line in the show. I mean, they roared with laughter. They did the funniest thing you'd ever heard. And we were like, why? They? Oh, that's why. Of course, because it was right at the time when everyone was going mental for toilet roll and like, you know, fighting over it in shops and stuff so yeah it did get that got the hugest round that hugest laugh have you spoken to to Beulah Cooper or Diane Davis during the pandemic at all found out what life is like in Newfoundland at the moment life is always beautiful in Newfoundland I message occasionally Diane Davis and I chat on on Facebook and she shows me the pictures and she, her and her husband have gone out for a little day trip and beautiful pictures and I'm stuck in my flat in Gravesend with no garden like that's hard that's really really hard her and I are cut from the same cloth she's like a sister from another mister she's brilliant so yeah I've spoken to Diane a couple of times you know on the old um Facebook Messenger. She's been, she was like, when are you coming over? I'm like, well, no one can go anywhere right now. But if I was going to get locked down somewhere, I'd like to, to be in Newfoundland, not in the winter. Yeah. And also, I suppose lockdown for them is like, and? You know, they get snowed in all the time. They're kind of used to that. For us, I think we were a bit like, oh, my God. But it looks so beautiful in the summer. And, you know, in the spring, the picture she was sending me was beautiful. So, yeah, we, we've spoken a few times and she's always like, are you guys okay? I'm so sorry this is happening. Like, me too. Me too. I feel like we'd all be a lot more okay if we had the people from Newfoundland looking after us right now. The people from Newfoundland came over, moved over into, you know, Whitehall and Downing Street. We'd be in a much better place because they don't think about themselves, you see. They think about other people and how if you help the, the wider people then everything will be better you know if you help everybody it'll all be better as opposed to just helping the few and then the other people suffer because that's that's not the way to keep things moving you, everyone has to be on that but what they kept saying you won't get left behind you remember that we're all in it together you won't get left behind except except you're all on that boat and you've left us behind like there are people behind who have nothing and you won't help them so, yeah, I do believe that if uh, Diane Davis and Bueller and Claude and Oz and Bonnie, I, if they were here, I think things would be better. I just do. I know you said you've forgotten a lot of the show, you've forgotten a lot of your lines, but what are you... <laughs> all of my lines. What are you most looking for? Which bit of the show are you most looking forward to doing again? Oh, easy. The final plane, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Is, is and always will be my favourite moment of the entire show. If you haven't seen the show, I'm sorry, it's not really a spoiler, but if you have, you'll know the bit I'm talking about. It's all very, very excited. We're singing the song and then we just have that absolute moment of euphoria and hope and excitement and the revolve starts to move and it goes from being really, really loud to being really intense and, 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 and really intimate. I've got a goosebumps on my head thinking about it. That for me, is the best moment in the show. That is the bit I'm looking forward to singing again. Yeah. And hearing that bell run. Oh, God, hearing that bell run. Good. For the first time. And it's all coming on and smiling at each other. That makes me emotional to think about that. That does. Because the first person I see every, every time I come on is Mary. She's the very first person that I see. It's like, ah, yes. 
And I think that that'll be a really good day. So when you come and see that first show, expect a lot of tears. I think there will be a lot of crying. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to see through my own tears. <laughs> That's I'm, fine. It won't be so bad if you're crying too. Honestly, when when that light, I mean, you won't be able to see this because I think your head is down at that point. But when the light goes blue as the revolve starts to turn, you said the word euphoria. That is exactly how it feels just to witness it. Yes. And that is that breath in and that, you know, that, that inhale and the chest up and the chin high. Because we are, we, I go from being, yes, I do. I go from, I have no idea what I, I feel like before. I've seen you with your head down and then you come up and you start looking up or something. I can't, I think I am down. Uh, yeah. I can't remember, Tara, if you're listening, I can't remember any of the stuff. None of it. Ooh. But yes, we we all come up. We all come up. And there's a, I do remember that bit. I mean, I was listening to something on social media the other day where someone had the, I think it was the Olivier performance of our song playing in the background. And when I heard the line, like 400 animals for whatever it is, I said to my husband, I don't think it is us because that doesn't sound like me. And as I was saying it, I heard then someone who sounded exactly like me saying so many thousand strays. 7,000 strays. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 7,000 strays. I thought, well, that's because that's my line. That other person, that's Mary. That's definitely not me. But I was like, it doesn't sound like me. It's because that's not your line. And at that point I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) I don't remember it. I genuinely don't remember it, but I will. The thing is, it will only take, I, I, I please, God, she says, it'll only take one go, read through to your things to go back in. You picked it up before without knowing any of it, so you'll do it again. I know, it'll be fine. Oh, just thinking about Mary's face, I'm suddenly overcome with like, oh, Mary. I know, gorgeous Mary. She's the first person every time we come out, good, opposite sides, and we always give each other a little smile. and she has one of the best lines as well she has all the best lines are you crazy she has all the best lines all her scenes her three big scenes the one at the back when she's talking to Doug about finding the animals and finding Lyle the cat that bit at the front where she's like you know chimpanzee shit and the end kill me best for me the best dialogue in the show that was she knows this that was the part I wanted I auditioned for three parts I auditioned for I thought I was up for a standby because I read for Bonnie Diane and Beulah and I thought I'm you know obviously up for a standby because sort of I think age-wise I could pro- I could probably cover all all three of those happily like I was thrilled it would be brilliant and my friend Kiara who does cover them she's been on for multiple parts in a week and to me that's like the dream like you imagine coming into work one day being Bonnie one day being Beverly Bass one day being Beulah. I mean that to me is the absolute dream the order in which I, the roles I wanted was Bonnie Diane and Beulah because and let me tell you why because the audition material I had for Beulah was just the joke so I didn't know anything else I didn't know the other bits about her I didn't know her story or, or what she was about I just had this joke but I remember the first time you and I met and you were like oh I think I get to do the Celine bit I hope I get to do the Celine bit I know. A friend of mine told me that I didn't, you see. An MD friend of mine said, I don't think that is, I don't think that's your track. I was like, oh man. So I was really pleased. And actually, would that have changed the ranking order had you known that Beulah did get the Celine? Maybe it would have put her above Diane. <laughs> but Bonnie for me is, I just think is the best part. And Mary, I mean, Mary is incredible. I could never, do you know what I mean? pale in comparison she absolutely nails it and every night I sit and watch her go 
Yeah, you're good. But I bet she says the same about you being Beulah. I don't know. I'm jealous. Well, do you know what? When I when I told people that I was doing this with you today, so many of my friends say, "Oh, I love her in that part," or "Oh, she was my favorite performer I saw in anything last year." So I don't I don't oh, know if you know. You can tell them that if they say that about me, they're always my favorite. I just I just don't know if you know how loved you are in that part. Oh, that's such a lovely thing to say. It's true. It's Thank true. You. But, you know, love for all the cast. And my favourite Mary line is when she just stands at the front stage left and sings. And as they boarded, it started to rain. started to rain. Oh. I, have I have goosebumps again. Like, literally, hairs go up. Yeah. You wouldn't have had goosebumps if I tried to sing it to you. <laughs> How do you think it will feel when you are on the train back in for your first night or you hear places or you hear five minute call? Oh, that'll be good. That'll be good. I do think that I know it sounds silly, and I don't. I don't know if it makes sense to people who don't, or we're not in industry, or don't love it the way that we love it. But every day that I don't get to perform, a little part of my soul just sort of like shrivels up a little bit. And I do think that it's just going. It, I think it needs to. I think it needs to protect itself and just go asleep because it can't just sit there and yearn because it's too painful. It's too difficult. And I think that on that day when we do our first run through in the, in because we'll have to rehearse again. You know, when we do our first proper run in rehearsals will be incredible. And that first night when we hear, ladies and gentlemen, oh my God, that'll make me cry. This, this is right, one am going call you crazy. That's, that's the thing. That'd be amazing. It was all going down the corridor, you know, because you, know, you have to enter the stage from the same place. So, I mean, well, will we? Or will we go down the corridor in twos and then 10 minutes later, another two people come down? Who knows? Who knows? But that, you're standing in the wing and, like, hear that. It was good before. I can only imagine that it'd just be, I can't, yeah, I don't even have the words. I don't think I've got the words for it. we amazing. The audience reaction we've already talked about, but it's going to be deafening yeah you get to people will have to keep themselves together because i will lose it if too many people start screaming and yelling too soon there were so many times last year we'd see people when the people the plane people arrive at gander for the first time and they go into the um they go into the where, where are those the school insert, not the conservatory cafeteria yeah the cafeteria that moment and i could see people because obviously again i'm about after that scene, I do direct address. People sobbing, and I was going to go. You're going to need to reel it in because you've so far to go. You might not make it. You're going to have to calm down. But I think on that first night, the end of the opening number, welcome to the rack. Doom! Like, we're amazing. Our very first show in the UK after after we were in Dublin was like that on our last show with the original cast and again with our new cast. There's one of two times during the show that the audience are allowed to clap. The rest of the time, there's no time for it, but that one, and I think it'll, I think it'll be big. I haven't been since the new cast started. I came just before the cast changed, just to see the OGs one more time. How has the new cast changed it for you? It's changed a lot in the sense that we were always encouraged from the get-go, you know, not to do impressions of the people that we were playing because it's not possible. Certainly in most people's cases, mine included, my character is an amalgamation of two different people. So you can't do an impression of, of two different people. It's just not possible. So with that in mind, when the new people arrived, they did their own version of that character. So you naturally have to give 
and it can be tricky. You know, I'll hold my hands up and say, oh, well, that's, that's different, that's new, panic. And then you just, all right, I think what I am looking forward to, and it's only just occurred to me talking to you about it, is that we're going to actually get to rehearse with them. Because last time we didn't. Last time we, kept, we did a read through with them, a run through with them, and then we did tech, a week of tech. And at the time I was like, oh, that's nice. We're not going to be in every day. But that's just not that kind of show. I get like the learning music. We don't have to be there. And I guess maybe the first week when they're doing the blocking, we don't have to be there. But I wish we'd been in there sooner to really work with them. So we were just getting to a place where we were starting to find stuff together as a new company. So I think going back, we will have a rehearsal process again with them. And I think that will make it really, really cohesive and really good. So I'm looking forward to seeing them. You've done the show for 16 months now. Yeah. Up to up to March. How many times, for anyone listening to this who hasn't seen the show, the chairography, shall we call it, yeah. the chairs are the chairs are one of the stars of the show. But if they yeah. go wrong, that could have pretty dire consequences. How many times has that happened? Well, I, I remember quite early on figuring out that, you know, we were an ensemble of 12 people that carried around these 13 principles and two, 13, 14, uh, you see, already we're in sticky water and two tables. That's what we did. We, we were the ensemble that carried around the principles, which were the chairs and tables. How many times has it gone wrong? Not many. There was an incident quite early on in Dublin where a chair got kicked over and Mary picked it up and took it into the wing and no one would take it. She was trying to give it to people. And they were like, no, I'm not, I'm not touching that. I'm not touching that. She was like, what do I do with it? Not even the SMs wanted to touch it because no one knew where it would have to go. So that, that has happened. That happened once, which was quite funny. Then there was, I mean, I want to say it's not my fault, except for the fact that it was. There was definitely an incident where chairs got put in the wrong place. It's so stupid. After the very first Bonnie phone call, where she says, are there animals on that plane? Probably, probably bit. We get up, we're all sat in the plane. Bonnie has her scene. Then we move into another scene. We all pick up our chairs that we're sitting on, move into another scene where we are now in, like, I guess, in, in a not, I always imagine that we're in like a, a, a hall where two sides of the strike debate are debating. It's got Claude on one side and Garth on the other. Garth, who is the head of the union for the school buses and Claude, who's the mayor, trying to get them to come off strike to help out the people who stuck on the plates. After that scene, we go from there back. It's very complicated if you haven't seen it. But after that, we go from there back to being people on the plane. So I go from that scene where I am a person that is a school bus driver who I'm not coming off strike. And then I go and I'm Dolores. And I do the same thing every day. I stand up and I pick up my chair with my, it's my upstage hand, my uh, right hand, and I lean forward and I get hold of Garth's chair. And I pick it up and I take it and I put it in... The, it's the second and third row of the plane. Great. And then one day, for reasons that I can't explain, I don't even know why I did it. I picked them up with the wrong hand. I turned around and I picked up my chair with my downstage hand. So when I took them to put in position, they were in the wrong place. Panic. I look at Nate and go, oh, the chairs are wrong. And he then swaps one wrong chair with his right chair. So now we have three wrong chairs. And then I can't help because I have to go. I sit at the back of the plane nearly having a panic attack, knowing that I've left them in deep doo-doo. And seeing Mary like this, this isn't right. This chair feels funny. Because you don't really notice, but when you sit, you're like, 
oh no, this is wrong. It's like putting on someone else's shoes in the dark. Like you don't see it. I suppose you must have you must have muscle memory of <laughs> at any given moment in the show. Yeah. What 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 is under your bottom should feel like. Exactly, and I'm watching her going. This feels really weird. But that was quite funny, and I would have laughed. I would have really laughed about it all if I hadn't nearly been having a nervous breakdown. Luckily, thank you. I think Kirsty Malpass was on for Beverly Bass that night. Now, Kirsty Malpass is not only a super standby, she's our dance captain. And she does know where all the chairs are meant to go. Not only does she know where they're meant to go now, she knows where they're meant to go in the next scene and the scene after that, etc., etc. So she was able to fix the problem. But poor Robert and Helen trying to do their lovely Nick and Diane scene had been all, hi, can I sit here? And all they can hear is, so where's it go? Like, literally, what is happening? Because it's really quiet and they're right there. So I felt wretched. Oops. Oh, you poor no, thing. It's my fault. Yeah, but you're helpless. You're powerless. 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 <laughs> I'm like, bye. See ya. The irony being that in the scene before, your characters had a panic attack at the back of the plane. Yeah, yeah. I could have done with that then because I was, I, I'm next to Harry on the plane. He's playing the character of Joey and I have my head on his chest going, oh my God, oh my God, the chest wrong. Oh my God, the chest wrong. Oh my God. Honestly, awful, awful. Felt really bad. I can laugh about it now. So the, the play out, you know, the end for, for the audience, you guys have gone off stage and then the band come out mm-hmm. and get their moment. I cannot wait to experience that again, that that feeling of... We'll be, like the first night, we'll stay on stage. We'll stay on stage till the end. We will not, they will not get us off that stage. Trust me. So we'll be there to the bit of bitter end because I can't wait to see it either. You said to me earlier that you you haven't, you know, you're dying to see the actual show itself. Oh God, I'd love to see the show. I've never seen it. I'm jealous of the people that have. So I had booked <laughs> three, day, <laughs> three days in New York over my birthday. Brilliant. In July, my husband and I were going to New York and we were going to go and see Come From Away when we were out there because obviously Rachel had gone on to do it on Broadway so it would have been amazing to see her damn you COVID-19 but yes that's not that's not to be but hopefully you know hopefully things will get back to normal and get your money finances sorted out and then you can think about holidays and going and seeing your friends on the other side of the pond and it's not just Rachel it's you know Ricky who's the associate you know I'd have been able to see Randy and Sue who would have been there our producers the American producers so we're just like a big family. And also I've chatted with some of the Broadway cast. So I know who they are. I'm aware of who they are. It'd be so nice to meet them. And it would be so good to meet Astrid in person. It would have been so lovely. Damn you, Corona. It, it will happen. It will happen. We just have to wait until it's safe. Yes, of course. You, you say you're jealous of everybody who's seen the show. I bet everybody is jealous that you get to be in the show. I mean, yeah. what I would give to be in that moment like somewhere in the middle of nowhere I know we keep talking about it but just how incredible it would feel when I heard the soundtrack for the first time now I I got all the material to learn for the audition and I made quite a conscious choice not to listen to the soundtrack because I just had this terrible terrible feeling that I was going to fall in love with it and if it didn't go my way I would have been heartbroken anyway, but the hurt would have been too much. So when I finally got to listen to it, I remember being in my kitchen, had it on and just turning to Sam and being like, I get to sing this. I get to be in it. It was very, I was very excited. Very excited. Do you get good harmonies in that song? 
I, I'm on the top line. So good. I don't know whether it's good or not. There's certainly a terrible EPK. The EPK is great. There's an EPK going around where you can just hear me loudly because they've not mixed me down because it's really high for me because I'm not a soprano. Emma Salvo and Mary Doherty both sing soprano, but they're lazy and are on the alto line. I hope you're listening because you know it's true. Lazy. spoke about this a lot. And I, who has been an alto my whole life, I'm on the top line, like, like screeching it out. And I just don't understand. I've said this to Kiara as well. Why can't you just come down and Jen, said Jen too, just come down and sing it. I'm mine. We'll pretend it's me. Because they just like, I'll sing it like it's in their sleep. It's huge work for me. But I do get the tune, which obviously is, is really beautiful, but it's really difficult for me to sing because it's quite high. I have no idea what anybody else does. I, well, no, let me say that again. I used to have no idea what anybody else does. Now I have no idea what anybody does. I don't know what I do. I don't know what they do. Do you know that we were in London? So we've been, we did the show for two months in Dublin. And we were in London in a note session with our director, Chris, who said to Mary, you so blah, 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 in that speech uh, during 38 Planes. And I genuinely turned to her and went, what speech? Not a clue. No, didn't know, didn't know she had a whole whole bit of dialogue going on during that. Because of the way this show is, unless you're, di- well, I, this is my excuse, I'm sticking to it. Unless I'm directly involved within the, the action, I don't notice it. Certainly if I'm doing other stuff. Um, obviously, you know, if I'm sit- we're sitting watching, very much involved. But like on the plane, if the, the stuff going on, and I have no clue. No clue. And in 38 planes, I'm singing and I'm watching the planes. I don't know. Didn't know that Emma and Mary and Harry had an entire scene. Didn't know. So yeah, timing. I don't know anyone's timing now, not even mine. I can't even remember that scene that you've just talked about. I know it now and because I had to look at the script after the fact. Janice says, hello, I'm new. I'm here with, uh, she goes, Bonnie Harris. I remember Bonnie's lines. On a normal day, we get half a dozen flights. Uh, but now we've had twice that many and and then Oz comes in and goes oh my god that's a jumble be like 200 people on her and then they work out how many people have landed I remember their lines it would seem but not my own yeah but how lovely it's going to be when you get to rediscover the whole thing I'll be very excited to look at it fresh because I, I wonder if I'll find other things you know if I find other ways of of saying it to really find the truth and the sense of things so I am looking forward to that this has been wonderful it has thank you so much it's my pleasure it's my pleasure but I can't wait to do this again when when you're back come to the dressing room and we can do it there and it'll be lovely yeah when you can tell me all about the first show back and how amazing it was yeah basically yeah basically make sure you're waving you best be there on that first night you best be there I'll be there I tower over everyone you can't miss me <laughs> it's so true it's true but I'll be like there it is there, it is. there I am there I am Performances of Come From Away have been suspended until the 20th of September this year. The show is expected to return, but that's unlikely to happen much before the start of 2021. But I'll see you there when it does. Next week on the podcast, I have the first of a two-part special for you. That's all I can say for now, but make sure you subscribe, because it's definitely one that you'll want to hear. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Listening.